Hello, National Partners. Welcome back to another episode of Travels by Clara, Ranger Talk, Episode 3. In today's episode, I'm going to be coming at you with a little bit of a different Ranger Topic episode. In today's episode, I will be having a conversation with Mrs. Diane Knudsen from the International Dark Sky Association. She's actually president of the board and a former park ranger at Wind Cave, as well as an entrepreneur. And, um... She was, I met her at Dry Tortugas National Park, and we kind of talked there, and I thought, might as well share some of her awesome knowledge with you guys. Um, She is very knowledgeable about light pollution, and she really saw an issue with it, and she took action, and now she's the president of the International Dark Sky Association, or the board of it. And so I encourage you guys to go check out um, that website. And um, I will warn you at the end of the, near the end of the podcast, there's some little bit of a technical dis- difficulties because I forgot about a question I want to ask her. So, um, but that's not for a little bit. Um, but I had a lot of fun um, recording this podcast and talking with Mrs. Diane, and I think it, I think it's going to be great. So, um, without further ado, let's get into the podcast. So, um, how have you been? I'm doing really well, thanks. That's good. Um, now we met for the listeners. We met at Dry Tortugas National Park um, over spring break, and uh, my dad and I kind of quartered you and your husband to ask you questions about your business part. So sorry about that, but that was fun. I really enjoyed meeting you and your family. Thank you. Um, so first question I'd like to ask you. Um, now you work with the International Dark Sky Association. So what, um, what it, for the listeners, what exactly is the International Dark Sky Association and like what's their mission and what's their goal? Right. So it's an association that's been around since 1988. It's about 32 years in running and it's designed to help protect the night sky, a sky filled with stars and one that's celebrated and protected around the world as a unique shared heritage benefiting all living things. In general, it protects the night from light pollution as artificial light has revolutionized the way we live and work outdoors, Um, but it comes at a price when we artificially light up the night and uh, use that. So we, IDA provides a win-win solutions to allow people to appreciate dark star-filled skies while also enjoying the benefits of outdoor lighting. That's awesome. And of course, for the listeners, um, I've done my research and everything, and I went to the um, IDA um, website, which is so fantastically organized. Um, People who, like me, who like information organized like that, it's a good website, but a lot of the answers can be found on the website. But I I just wanted to ask you them, since you are um, president of the board, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. that's all. That's so cool. Um, so how did you become involved with the IDA? Yeah, my involvement with IDA goes back to when I was a national park ranger at Wind Cave National Park. So I, in honor of our talk today, I brought along my hat uh, as so my cool. ranger hat. So I still have that. And uh, Wind Cave really holds a special place in my heart as uh, back in 2008, I did a summer interpretive park ranger stint there. And I gave campfire talks about the night sky because it really, there you could see wonderful stars and you had a great quality night sky that you couldn't really get or see many other places. So I did a campfire talk there and found out about the International Dark Sky Association, started doing more and more research. 
And then after that, I thought I could see the sky glow of Rapid City about 70 miles away. And you could hear the songs of the meadowlark in the middle of the night singing to the city, which they thought was the rising sun. So it threw off all these circadian rhythms. And I thought if I can go and operate a business and get involved in the city to actually reduce light pollution in areas that are polluting skies beyond the city limits, then I can make a difference. So I went into the business world and actually started a business and a gym of my own and to be a night sky friendly business and show that you can be a night sky friendly business and also still get a good customer base and then work with the city to instill some night sky friendly lighting policies. So as I got more involved, there wasn't a chapter or a group of individuals in South Dakota where I was living and working at the time. So we, I started coordinating a festival in downtown Rapid City that we celebrated the night sky. We brought out telescopes. We got the city to turn off street lights, business to turn off their decorative lighting and show people what they could really see with less light pollution. So we did that for about five years. And then I did a TEDx talk and trying to educate people more about the solutions, what they could actually do to reverse light pollution. And then got more and more involved and started volunteering more and got asked to apply to be on the board of directors. So I've done three years as a board of director and this year starting my fourth year and president of the board. That is so cool. Like people like you, like inspire people like me, like, cause you're such a, such a go-getter. Like you saw a problem and you like chased after it. So that's, that's so cool. That's a really cool part of your story. And I like the hat, by the way, hopefully <laughs> one day I'll have one of my own. So, um, you're, so as president of the board, um, what do you like, what's your job as president of the board and how, so you kind of explained how you reached the position, but what kind of background did you have to get in that position? Mm -hmm. I think for being on the board, experience that helped me was public speaking. For one, being a member of Toastmasters really helped that. Also, being having the business background, being able to read financial statements, um, doing marketing, all the things that come with getting a business from the ground up going in a community. And the board has a very diverse background and we look for directors that bring a variety of backgrounds. Uh, some people are biologists or have more information about astronomy. So we collectively bring all our knowledge to the table. And as president, I run our meetings. They help with board development, setting priorities and the workflow for the year. And then also doing staff oversight of the executive director and overseeing the hiring and compensation. And then we work on also public relations, fundraising, making sure that the organization is well run. That's really cool. The like um, when I was doing my research and everything, of course I've always I've heard of the International Dark Sky going to places like national parks, but really getting into the organization and really learning what you guys do, it, it's it's really inspiring and it's really cool because like um, light pollution when it was brought to my attention through the um, night sky junior ranger program, um, I suddenly looked around my city and like there are these lights 
that just pointed straight up and they did nothing on the ground and all of a sudden things like that kind of started irritating me a little bit but um that's really cool um that yeah just the whole thing is so cool um so uh you talk about so you kind of talked about how um the IDA does a lot of things and covers a lot of ground um so how how does it help specifically preserve places such as national parks and public lands mm -hmm. well one of the best things I think we do is bring people together and that's um, people such as park rangers and businesses in cities so we all work in tandem because light pollution knows no boundaries it just keeps going and light from cities and businesses and residents impact our national parks so we have a program that's a certified national international dark sky place program that gives them a distinction that they show they have sky quality meter readings and a lighting inventory and assessment that they're putting procedures and policies in place that help protect the night sky where they are, as well as educational programs. There might be astronomy festivals, films, night sky tours that they help educate visitors about the natural resource of the night sky. And those, those places will protect parks, but as also sanctuaries and reserves, urban areas and communities as well. Uh, as a ranger, we like to say sometimes that half the park is after dark. So it's a, there's a lot to see when people go to bed and the stars come out. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I really enjoy camping is because, um, oh, by the way, I'd like to apologize for Dry Tortugas. When we saw you guys with the, the red lights, of course, we didn't know that you were like, looking for the stars but we did know that red lights are not they don't harm the eyes when looking at a dark sky and so we i apologize for our giant um white flashlights that like we tried to point them at the ground but sorry if we kind of like disrupted your um night sky viewing at dry tortuga you didn't disrupt it at all and actually you point to two of really good examples of how to properly use lighting and how to limit light pollution. One of those is that red filtered light, more of the amber color and less of that blue light protects our night vision. So we can see more of the stars at night. And it takes about 20 minutes for our eyes to adapt when it's brightly exposed to light. So once you get that um, brightness in your eyes, you gotta wait a little while to see the dimmer stars. The other one is shielding. So when, you when you're saying pointing lights down, that's pointing light to the direction that you want to see the ground when you point it up like you mentioned in the city you're creating more shadows and kind of exacerbating the problem of what you're trying to do if, of actually illuminating the ground yeah so um skipping a little bit ahead in the little question list we kind of brought up a good point so the um ida so what other things do they recommend for um, individuals who are looking to help with their personal light pollution, such as like red lights and pointing it down on the ground? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's five main lighting principles to work from. Um, we talked about color and direction. The other aspects are low light levels. And we're seeing a big increase in light pollution with the conversion over to LEDs. So there's a lot of 
different types of lighting and in street lights and other lighting, uh, it used to be popular to use high pressure sodium. It used more energy than LEDs. Now LEDs are much more energy efficient. And uh, in doing that, we tend to get brighter lights because it costs less to light. Um, so what we focus on is reducing the amount of light because the light pollution is growing at twice the rate of the human population. So we're bright, we're increasing the night sky brightness way more than we're increasing our population. And there's only about eight natural night sky areas left in the United States. The other options for lighting principles are control. So you can control it with a timer and that helps it be off when it's not in use or even a motion sensor. So if you want it to come on, but you're not sure of the time, then you can have that motion sensor uh, and it illuminates when you need it. That's the, those are really good points. I'm definitely going like this as like, as I said, I was watching your TEDx talk, which is for the listeners is so great. I encourage you guys to watch, guys go watch it. Um, but it's kind of re-inspired me to go um, and I like to go talk to my city maybe about doing something about those lights. And I think I think they might be happy with something like a timed light because we do have a few um, street lights that are timed in our city. So thank you for sharing those points with us. Um, so what quality, so you said there's only about eight natural dark skies in America. Well, my first reaction is, uh-oh, um, but uh, what, what are the qualifications to become an international dark sky? Yeah, so there's uh, over 170 dark sky certified places by IDA that has that carry that distinction, whether it's a park or community, reserve, sanctuary, urban place. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a natural night sky. Because uh, as I mentioned earlier, light trespass travels farther than where it originates. So even though a place is protected with this distinction, um, if the surrounding areas aren't cognizant and helping um, with their light trespass, it can still impact the area. So the as we illuminate more and more, those areas that are naturally dark are getting smaller and smaller to almost where it's non-existent. And people born today aren't having access to be able to view the Milky Way and the stars. And there's thousands of stars visible in a natural night sky. Uh, so with the distinctions, what we do is help them do lighting assessments and take a look at their lighting plan to help keep it dark sky friendly. And they go through an application process that gets letters of support from the area and surrounding community partners to help protect that area. That's cool. Um, because we go to um, a few national parks and we like uh, like notice whenever they're international dark skies. And when you were talking about um, kids born today, don't see that many stars. I, um, I live very close to Oklahoma City and um, a pretty decently sized town as well with those lights um, that point up that kind of irritate me a little bit but um I um when I was younger I would look up at the sky and I didn't mm -hmm. notice the little like yellow haze that went on the skyline from the lights that was light pollution I didn't understand that at the time 
um, I thought that was like the sun going down or something. Um, but I'd look up and there'd be like just a little handful of stars. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of stars. And then we went to Great Basin National Park and Bryce Canyon and completely opened my eyes up to what the sky could look like versus what it looked like at home. And like, just, I just remember, like, it kind of gives me goosebumps remembering the first time that I got to see like a dark sky. Cause um, I'm kind of going on a little tangent here, but um, just seeing the Milky Way, like, I had never seen that. I'd only heard about that. And I thought I didn't realize it was visible from Earth. And then um, seeing shooting stars, I had never seen a shooting star until we went to Bryce Canyon. And that was pretty like, cause like, you know, as a little kid, you hear about like, wish upon a shooting star. And I'd never seen one until then. So yeah, that's, that's really cool. I'd like to thank the IDA for um, preserving places like that. Uh, so yeah. So you talk about um, that it is like, I know in your TEDx talk and just um, a few minutes ago, you talked about like that bird um, that was that normally like chirps to the uh, sunrise and it got confused. Um, so how so how do you see, other than that, how do you see um, light pollution harming and changing our natural environment besides, um, besides just um, confusing the animals and uh, the not being able to see visible stars. Right, so uh, all life on earth has evolved to have this cycle of day and night and everything from plants have this rhythm where they have so much daylight and so much nighttime to rest and recover. So for example, uh, trees know when to start kind of hibernating and losing their leaves to put their energy into their root system versus into the branches and leaves. So it can winterize and get through a cold winter and not have the energy in its branches. Another example are fireflies where they um, mate and communicate with each other based on their flicker signal. And they don't relocate from where they're born. So as we see a big decline in the beetles of the fireflies because they can't find each other with this glow and haze of light pollution. And their area where they can thrive is becoming more and more threatened. Another example are owls because of how they hunt at night and their night vision, they get blinded by light. And then also the shadow when they fly through light is cast on the ground to their prey, which gives off a signal. So it makes them harder to find food. Uh, in humans, our circadian rhythm of being able to sleep and create melatonin for us to get a good night's sleep and rest and recover is impacted by that exposure of constant signal of it's daytime. And all living things are impacted by that disruption of kind of what we're getting into a constant state of daylight. Yeah, um, uh, sorry to like refer to your TEDx talk all the, the, a lot, but um, I do have blackout curtains that are actually open right now. And I didn't really think about that until you, you said that. So mm -hmm. um, yeah. It impacts then, a lot of animals. If you, if you look at also sea turtles, how they know where to go when after they're hatched is they look for brightness which is typically the glare of the moon and the stars off the ocean. But now 
the cities overpower that brightness and the brighter area is the city. So they actually, after they hatch, end up doing circles on the beach or crossing in roads and going into the city because that's where they're trying to figure out how to go into the ocean. Yeah, then there's also bats, which mm -hmm. bats I think are one of like my favorite animals. Um, they're super cool. And then they're, they're being like, even though they can't see well, light still causes problems for that and them. Yeah. Um, okay, so um, how many darks, so I, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, but how many dark skies are there? There's certified as international dark sky places, there's about 170 and about 160 more kind of working on the process through their application. There's more and more coming all the time and they make their way through the application and get certified. And then they see a big increase in astrotourism, that of people looking for night sky places with good quality that they can interact with the nighttime environment. So it's kind of a win-win. Mm -hmm. You kind of let go of your light pollution, you get more tourism right. and everything. That's great though, that there's more and more places recognizing that this is a big deal and that it is needs to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, the IDA on their website, um, offers a ton of amazing resources that I will definitely be using. Um, but what, but I'd like to ask you what kind of resources, um, IDA offers towns and people looking to make a, a big difference in their local light pollution. Mm -hmm. Yes, we provide resources to guide lighting policies. So if, if cities are looking for draft policies or ordinances or even fixture seal of approval luminaires that are dark sky friendly, they can find that on, a, on the website and be guided. It helps when you're working with engineers, designers, city planners to have somebody that uh, has that background and knowledge. And with the technical lighting aspects, um, we can offer some of that material and research that um, they can use for education and outreach and in, in their guidelines. That's great. I definitely like, I, of course I've known about life pollution ever since I did the junior ranger program and visited the parks, um, but going through the website and everything, I definitely think that in doing a bit more research, definitely I think I will do my best in my town now. Um, so, uh, what is your favorite dark sky? I've been I've I've been waiting to ask you this question. The I'm always looking for more dark sky places, uh, which is why I went to Dry Tortugas and got to meet you. So that was fabulous. And the one that will always I will always cherish is Wind Cave National Park because that's where I really started this journey of protecting the night sky. I was actually doing caving and exploring and mapping out some passageways underneath in the cave system. And we had been doing that in the middle of the night as a volunteer. And when we came out of the cave, our eyes had adjusted to the darkness and the Milky Way was all overhead. And it just blew me away of how bright it was and so bright that the Milky Way cast a shadow on the ground. So it, it, that stands out to me. And I always love my backyard and being able to see skies uh, right above me from where I am. 
um, although it is light polluted from my backyard, but I like being able to still experience that as frequently as I can. That's awesome. I can't wait to visit Wind Cave. I think my family kind of talked to you guys about that. Um, I'll definitely put um, dark sky um, viewing on the list when we go there and everything. Uh, I've heard Wind Cave is a super cool park and I'm excited to visit it. Um, yeah, so uh, that's all my questions on my paper. Um, I know I under to my understanding you have some questions for me, um, but I have one more question for you that's not exactly um, dark sky related, mm -hmm. um, and I kind of I think I know the answer to it already. Um, but my little signature question is if you could choose any national park, all expenses paid, everything taken care of, and you were to live there for like the rest of your life, which park would you choose? Mm -hmm. I think. I would go to Bryce Canyon. They have some really good night sky programs and it's pretty remote and very special and beautiful area. Yeah, and the geology, I, I'm kind of, I'm a, hist I'm a nerd in all the places. Um, and the geology at Bryce Canyon is also pretty cool with the hoodoos and um, the dark sky program, uh, the little ranger talk that we attended was pretty cool and we got to see the International Space Station go around and everything so Bryce Canyon's a good choice um, even though you don't need it I approve. <laughs> um, okay so since we're kind of coming to the end of our um, time what do you have any questions for me to my, under to my understanding? I have one question do. for you that I would love to know is do you have any experience with the night that really stands out to you in your memory? I think I, I'd have to say, bro, I'd have to say Great Basin. Um, not only just because um, one of my favorite ranger friends, Ranger Brenna, uh, not only because I met her there, but because that that was like the giant telescopes that they brought out where you're able to like punch in the numbers and it turned to a star. Um, you were just seeing shooting stars left and right and you could see the Milky Way that I had never seen before. Like I came home to my friends and I was like, guys, I saw the Milky Way and it was so cool. Um, but I'd have, I'd have to say Great Basin just in Great Basin is super duper remote. Like it's a little oasis in the no, like, no man's land way like in Nevada um that was that was really cool and then Joshua Tree was also it, it was also really cool just the scenery against the night sky um even though LA is like really close to it and you can easily see the light pollution from LA but yeah those are those are I I, I go on little tangents with when I talk if you haven't figured out but yeah those are I think Great Basin would be the one that stands out to me most Mm, that's great. Have you been able to see Saturn rings through a telescope yet? I don't remember that specifically. Um, I've heard I've heard it's really cool. Yes, and really that, pretty. Be a, that could be another thing to look forward to. Okay, on my on my to do list um, and everything. But I'd like to thank you again so much, um, Mrs. Diane Knutson, for joining me. Um, especially at a little bit of late notice, but um, I met you and you, you and your husband were super duper nice to my family. And sorry again, if we were a little loud and rowdy, um, we, we had a lot of people with us. Um, but um, just the whole, like your whole story about being a business owner and being the president of the IDA. And then um, 
I also saw in your little bio on the website that, well, and you also talked about your um, son. Um, it was a son, not a daughter, right? Daughter, daughter, yep. Oh, daughter, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. But you're also a mom on the, also yeah. a mom and everything. And that's super, that's super awesome for, and a great example for people and girls like me who are um, like looking for a great role model as an mm -hmm. entrepreneur and just all the awesome things that you've done. And you really saw an issue with our um, light pollution and you just chased right after it. And that's awesome. So thank you well, for thank that. You. Yes, I'm, it's a pleasure to be on here and it's encouraging to see people take interest and help address it because light pollution is one of the easiest pollution types that we can solve if we um, put some effort there. So thank you for highlighting that as an issue. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Um, park on. I'm going to pause the recording right here. I wanted to ask you, oh, what, what did I just do? Uh, Technology. Okay. Um, one more question. One more question. Cause I it just reminded next week is international dark sky week. I'm sorry. I had asked that question. It just popped in my mind. Um, what all is the, um, inter, what all is the IDA doing to celebrate international dark sky and the celebrations and stuff? Yes, I love it because International Dark Sky Week is coming up April 5th, so right up ahead, and it's a whole week of celebrating the night sky. There are chapters and delegates and advocates worldwide that are raising awareness and efforts to reduce light pollution all around the globe. There's speakers, programs, and with the hashtag IDSW2021, for International Dark Sky Week 2021. You can find a bunch of the programs that chapters are hosting from musicians to films and uh, educational programming all around the globe that you can access virtually from where you are. That's awesome. I'm sorry, I had to ask that question because that's like that was such a convenient thing to have this podcast this week. I'll, I'll have this podcast up um, this Saturday um, if I can get it to my editor on time and everything and I'll have like a little um, sneak peek on my YouTube channel if that's okay with you. Um, so for um, people looking to donate to the IDA, would you suggest just going onto their website and going through there? I saw you guys had it pretty organized and pretty laid out on giving. Yes, there are, thanks for asking. There are ways to become a member as a student and non-student rates, as well as corporate partnerships. So you can give on a monthly basis or a one-time basis in an amount that's meaningful to you. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you again, um, uh, Diane, for joining me. I had a lot of fun talking with you. As I am uploading this at the moment, it is International Dark Sky Week. And so go over to the IDA's website and learn about how you can cut back on light pollution because it is really affecting you personally, others around you, the environment around you. And um, the IDA actually has a lot of dark skies within national parks. So if you're a partner like me, this should be something that should be important to you because, or this is something that probably is important to you because those dark skies are pretty amazing. And so um, thank you again um, to um, Diane Knutson. Thank you again to the IDA. Thank you again to you for listening. I encourage you guys to go check out all the stuff I'll have in the description about the IDA. And um, without further ado, uh, park on. Have a great day. Bye.